0: All right. Hey, Redemption family, if you will go ahead and scroll in your app or flip in your Bible or just follow along on the screen. Um, We are going to be covering Acts chapter 11 in its entirety today, and that's because it just tends to flow better uh, as an entire narrative rather than breaking it up over several weeks. And so here we go. We'll jump right in. It says this. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Okay. So recall that in Acts chapter 10 Peter had received a vision over in Joppa, was told about going to Cornelius' house. A Gentile Cornelius had had a vision saying, send for Peter. So they all get together. They're at Cornelius' house. Peter goes in to a home of a Gentile, which was not kosher, has a meal, not kosher, and he is spending time with Gentiles, people who were considered religiously, ceremonially, ethnically unclean. Peter enters the home, proclaims the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls, they become Christians there, they are baptized, And word traveled south, back down to the city of Jerusalem, where there are Jewish Christians that are still abiding by much of the Old Testament law. They receive word. Peter goes down to Jerusalem, and it says they criticized Peter, saying, you you had table fellowship. You ate with unclean Gentiles. Peter, you're doing it wrong. What are you out there doing? This is the same thing uh, Jesus was criticized for over in Luke 15. Remember the religious crowds say this man uh, eats with and receives sinners and tax collectors. And then Jesus tells the parable of the lost coin and the lost sheep and the, the lost son, the famous prodigal son passage. Why are the Jewish authorities so upset over who you have a meal with? Is it that big of a deal? And the answer is Yes. Because having a meal in that context, especially in honor-shame culture, to have a meal with unclean people is a public statement. You see, it's not just a private thing when you have a meal together in that culture. Who you eat with, that becomes your reputation. And it's saying, I accept this person across the table from me. I welcome this person into my life. I'm with this person. It says something to the public. It's not just a private affair. It says something to the public. And Peter was willing to suffer criticism for it. You know, um, if you take your walk with Jesus seriously and you start hanging out with people and spending time with people who would be considered, you know, unclean by many in a religious circle, you'll be criticized. I know. Over my years in the ministry, I've certainly received my fair share (laughs) from planting a church in a bar in the South. You know, there's a lot of, hey, pastor, you know, they're not like us. And (laughs) the answer is always the same. It's like, well, I know. (laughs) I want them to know Jesus. (laughs) And, uh, you know, if Jesus says we're the light of the world, Well, come on into my house. Of course he can hang out. Like, yeah, I'm going to have a meal with you, and I'm I'm going to enter friendship with you. So Peter was willing to suffer under criticism. And the following section, then Peter then responds to them. But before you see him respond, I need you to see this. Peter could have in the moment just shut down and gone, you know what, you're right. I'm rocking the boat a bit much. I have been kind of wild. Uh, but he doesn't. He doesn't betray his conscience. He doesn't betray his new brothers and sisters to the north in the name of keeping the peace, which is basically, would have been his way of avoiding conflict, you know, which a lot of us are really good at. But Peter rather goes, no, I'm not going to deny what I saw in my vision, and I'm not going to deny what I did when I was with my Gentile friends, and I'm not going to deny the fact that they believed the gospel, and our Christians now. I'm not going to deny all that. I just love that he didn't cave, but he kept his friends in mind. He's like, you know what? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things, and you're saying some critical things about them, and I'm going to speak up. And so he summarizes all of Acts chapter 10, and this is what he says in verse 4. And we covered this two weeks ago, and so uh, you, if you want to go listen to that sermon, I'm not going to unpack all that here. The sermon's called uh, Nobody is Unclean. But this is what Peter says. Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord. For nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered that a second time from heaven. What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times. And all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were and sent me to Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. Make no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house, and he told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, Send a Joppa, and bring Simon, who's called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, and you and all your household. I began to speak, and the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as it did on us at the beginning. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Okay. Now this is it. Verse 17. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So he tells the story. He tells them the story and then says, so if God gave, if God gave the same gift, check that, gave, gift, if God gave the same gift to them, who was I to stand in the way? What did God give? Oh, he gave uh, his word He gave his promises. He gave his covenant. He gave his son. He gave his cross. He gave his resurrection. He gave his ascension. He gave his Holy Spirit. If God has given the same gift, the same thing that we tasted at Pentecost, if God has given them the same gift that he gave us, who am I and who are you to stand in the way of what God is clearly doing? Who are you? to stand in the way of what God's doing. God is doing something new. God is doing something revolutionary. Things are changing. Who are, who, are we gonna stand in the way? No. And so, and so a couple of things to just note very quickly. God's the one that's sovereign in salvation. God gave it. God initiated it. God started it. If you wonder, how did I become a Christian? Oh, God gave you the gift. God God brought you in. God did that. God, you're a Christian because God wanted you. God willed you and brought you in. Now, when they heard these things, here's the response. They fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Okay. They fell silent. They let it sink in. They they allowed the, those words to just penetrate their minds and their souls, and then their conclusion was, "God has granted repentance that leads to life." Okay, this is why it's so important that you know that we understand what repentance is. Repentance is not the only destination; it's a road, a path, a journey that leads to life. If you get on I ninety East, it'll. You'll be (laughs) out in Bellevue in in just a few minutes. Um, When you think about the road that leads to life, it's one of repentance. Now, I think I want to press here for a moment just pastorally because I think it can be very helpful. I know it's something that I'm genuinely, I cannot tell you, as, as I am picturing your faces right now, I'm telling you, I am preaching this to myself more than anybody. <sighs> Repentance is not intended to be a self-criticizing, soul-scourging, self-scourging experience. But more often than not, whether Catholic or Protestant, evangelical, many of us get it wrong. And we mistake feelings of guilt and feelings of shame for the actions of repentance. And it's simply not even just a little bit off, it's completely another religion altogether. Here's what I mean guilt is saying, I did something bad. I feel guilt. Shame is, I am bad. And, bad. and if you take guilt or you take shame and baptize that in religious language and call that repentance, that's not repentance. We might not be Catholic monks out in a cave in medieval Europe somewhere scourging ourselves trying to purge ourselves and atone for our sins, but the negative self-hatred, self-criticizing tape that we play over and over again, keeping our distance from God and breaking our relationships with others because we feel so rotten about ourselves and our actions and our regrets and our so on. That's not repentance in the slightest. I was reading a a journal on spiritual formation and soul care. Listen to this. James Wilhoyt. Uh, theologian out at Wheaton uh, says this it is worth noting that a number of our spiritual heroes had moral and spiritual falls these include such luminaries as Sarah and Abraham David Elijah and Peter their failures include murder loss of faith and betrayal but none of them turned to self-criticism when their eyes were opened and saw what they did this is not to say that they were never self-critical but the Bible never portrays beating ourselves up as the way to deal with sin and failure God's gracious way comes through confession and repentance, not self-criticism. So if you want to understand biblical repentance, it's not beating ourselves up in guilt and shame and self-criticism. In fact, the biblical word for repentance is teshuva, meaning to return. Listen to what author Mark Stibbe says. We'll put this on the screen in his book. I am your father. What every heart needs to know. In Hebrew, the word for repentance is teshuva and in its highest form is understood as the action of a child choosing to turn around and come home to their father. You see, that's it. That's the heart of the prodigal son passage. That's why Jesus taught it that way. I'm going to go back to my father's house. This is rotten out here. I don't belong out here. This isn't it. I'm going back to my father's house. That's a place where I belong, that's a place where I'm loved, that's a place I'm provided for, that's where I'm welcomed, that's that's my that's my true place. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, I've done some stuff. I do regret those things, but I know who my father is. I'm going home to my father. Imagine that this isn't just for you as an individual, but when you're telling someone else the good news of Jesus and the gospel and you're calling people to repentance, it is not a guilt thing or a shame thing or you're a wretch and this and that kind of thing. It is not just confronting people in their sin. It's about saying you belong in your father's house that is so good in a case you need to be reminded of the gospel again repentance is not you punishing you the gospel comes on the scene and says here's just a few verses romans 3 if you need to know if something with somebody what about punishment then oh yeah propitiation go read romans 3 21 to 26 read it someone else was punished for you his name is jesus Romans 4, verse 20 to 25, right in there, it says that Jesus was resurrected for your justification. Your righteousness comes from Jesus' resurrection. So your punishment went to Jesus. Your righteousness comes from Jesus. And then go read Romans 8, verse 15, where it talks about God sending the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, testifying to our, our adoption as His sons and daughters. Like It's all about what Jesus has done What the Father has given. What the Spirit brings about in us. Repentance is about going home to the place that you've always belonged. And that is good news. I have been purchased and adopted into the family of God. I was lost, but my Father, He came after me. He came after me. So, yeah, while repentance stings, that's not all there is to it. Not by a long shot. So, this Christian faith now no longer involved changing dietary habits. You didn't have to change your clothing. You sure don't need to leave your unbelieving, unclean friends in the dust. Rather, in Christianity You are filled with the Spirit. You live in this world, but you don't live of this world. This was entirely new in the first century, and it still remains entirely new to this day. Uh, Tom Wright says this in his book, Paul, a Biography, on page 90 and 91. In the ancient Near East, the idea of a single community across traditional boundaries of culture, gender, ethnic, and social groupings was unheard of. Unthinkable, in fact. But there it was. A new kind of family had come into existence. Its focus of identity was Jesus. Its manner of life was shaped by Jesus. Its characteristic mark was believing allegiance to Jesus. That is what it is about. A family centered on Jesus. A family born and brought into existence by Jesus. And so there's brothers and sisters all over our city right now that are all look different, and all over our world, gathering around the person and the work of Jesus. This is beautiful. Okay, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, Preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who uh, believed turned to the Lord. So they're in this major city of Antioch. It was the third largest, third most important city in the Roman Empire. Roughly 25,000 Jews lived there, which is a huge number. And the city itself housed somewhere around between 500,000 and 800,000 people. Massive city. It was a port city, a trade city, lots of educated people coming and going. It's a perfect place to plant churches. It's similar to Seattle in a lot of ways. Port city, traveling city, transient city, educated city, people coming through and exchanging ideas and, and on they go somewhere else. This was a beautiful place to set up shop for the early Christians because this is, they're going to take this message and it's going to go to other places. And notice, too, that the people there that were preaching, it doesn't say that they were apostles. It just says some men from Cyprus and Cyrene and, you know, other places around were out now preaching the gospel. This wasn't just prophets and apostles anymore. No, they're, just back in chapter 8, we'd seen men and women out preaching the gospel in Samaria. And they're continuing to do that, preaching Jesus. The report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So J- Jerusalem is 7,300 miles away. <laughs> it's a long trek. Um, and so they, they send Barnabas, the loving, generous, encouraging, bridge-building, faithful man of God, right? Barnabas, the son of encouragement. They send Barnabas up to check it out. And it says, when he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So check this out. It says he came and he saw the grace of God. Can you see the grace of God? Would you know it if you saw it? What does it actually look like? How can I see it? Does the grace of God have a face? And the answer is yes. Barnabas saw the grace of God in his neighbors, in these new Gentile Christians. That was a physical face on this thing called the grace of God, that the grace of God is not merely a theological construct or abstract thought that we talk about in cold, impersonal, scientific terms, but the grace of God always has a face with it. The grace of God is in the and the Christians all around you even so when you're looking at Christians this week on a Zoom call or a FaceTime call or whatever like when you see another believer remember this week encourage yourself try to remind yourself this week oh i'm not just looking at another face this person belongs to Jesus <laughs> there's there's the grace of god there's the grace of god and it says and he was glad he was glad when he saw these new Gentile people, people that would have been perhaps considered uh, enemies in a previous life prior to Jesus changing everything. He was glad. You know, you can tell just how close you are in proximity to Jesus based on how you respond to the grace of God given to someone you would have considered to be an enemy. <laughs> he was glad. He was glad. You see, when Jesus melts your heart in grace, you, you want your enemies to get it to you. Because you know, at the end of the day, you're, we're not all that different. So he was glad. And it says that he encouraged them to, to remain faithful, faithfully present, faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. This word for steadfast, was, it, it, they translate it as steadfast, but the, the Greek word is heart, cardia, right? It comes from the this, this seed of who you are, your mind, your, your emotions, your will, like the, the essence of who you are, right? With steadfast purpose. Purpose. About two weeks ago I was reading a another book by Brennan Manning. <laughs> I've read a lot of Brennan lately and it's uh, it's an old book I'm rereading called uh, The Signature of Jesus. And in it he summarizes so beautifully what what it is, what Barnabas is calling for. I'm gonna read it to you here. And this is actually an excerpt found well the the source is debated sometimes, but the excerpt was found in In um, a pastor's desk in Zimbabwe, a young pastor who had been martyred about 100 years ago. And this, listen to what this says. It's powerful. I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of His. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living sight, walking smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, worldly talking, cheap living, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean in His presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and I labor with power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide, reliable. My mission, clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up. Until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go until he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work until he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. That is what Barnabas is calling for. Unbelievable, faithful presence to the Lord. Just to stop. Step over the line. Christian, if you're hearing this today and you've been wavering in your faith and wavering out there, dabbling in this and that, let that be a word of exhortation, a word of correction, a word of encouragement, a word of realigning with being faithfully present to God. Draw a line in the sand. I'm standing with Jesus. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care. I don't care. I'm I'm with him. He's mine. My gate is fast. My purpose is set. That's what it is. It reminded me of the hymn, Take the world, but give me Jesus. Listen to this lyric. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Let me view his constant smile. Then throughout life's long journey, he will lead me all the while. (laughs) That's it. Take the world. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. (laughs) Verse 24 says this for he was a good man full of the holy spirit and of faith and a great many people were added to the lord what a reputation a good man full of the spirit <laughs> and 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 faith and great many people were added to the lord all right verse 25 barnabas went to tarsus to look for saul he needed some help so it says and so when he had found him he brought him to antioch For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. All right, so there's thousands of new believers there in the city. And they didn't care about just getting people the the introductory stuff to the faith. They, They wanted to give them real discipleship. So they spent a year Paul and Barnabas going for it every day, making disciples, explaining the story of the scriptures, explaining who is Jesus, what has he done, who were the prophets, what were they about, what, putting together the whole story, teasing out the theology and like working out what are the implications of all this day after day. Can you imagine living in that port city and sitting down on a dock by the sea and listening to these guys? being in the city and seeing at a cafe. Oh, there's Barnabas. He's over there talking to 10 people right now. It's got to be unbelievable. That's what they were doing every day. And it was spreading like wildfire. Awesome. And they were first called Christians here in Antioch. So this was significant because this is the time when Christianity was no longer really flying under the wing of Judaism, confessing Jesus to be the Messiah of Judaism. But now it's, oh, Christ- Christianity is this, this is, this is different. It comes out of here, but, oh, it's, oh, it's different. They were first called Christians. Jesus was the fulfillment. Now, in these days, verse 27, the prophets came, to, came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So Agabus was given the gift of prophecy, a lot of prophets moving through, and one day we'll, we'll talk about the different offices and giftings of people in the church and um, but he's given this gift of prophecy, which is very nuanced. But in this particular case, it has to do with foretelling future events. He says, there's going to be a famine. There's going to be a global pandemic. Something's going to happen. And in fact, it was. There was a pandemic and it happened uh, through the years, roughly 41 to 45 AD. That's when the time frame we're looking at right here. And there was a terrible famine across the land. If us told everyone, "Hey, something bad's about to happen." There's about to be a lot of people in need. There's a lot. There's about to be a lot of questions. There's about to be a lot of uncertainty. There's about to be a lot of how are we going to get through this? <laughs> Sounds a lot like what we're seeing day in and day out, right now. In some ways, right? Questions, fear, anxiety, concern, stress about where we headed, what's going on, right? What are we going to do? Gosh. So what did the disciples do? What did they do when they heard this news? Here's their response. The disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Here they are. If you want to know where we continue to get our vision about being faithfully present, because that's a vision of our church, right? We're a community of people striving to be faithfully present to God, self, and others. Here is another beautiful example. These are Gentile Christians. Just met Jesus. Find out there's going to be a famine. What was their first thought? We got to make sure we look after our brothers and sisters. The very first thing. There's going to be something bad that's going to happen. We got to take care of them. What's mine is yours. I I got. I got to determine what. What can I give? And so that's what they did. The very first thing you see the church doing: Gentiles now caring for Jewish Christians. The family of God has been brought together. All the walls are down, and so they save their money. They send it by Paul and Barnabas down to Jerusalem to then be able to take care of their brothers and sisters to the south. Brothers and sisters, that is the heart of what Jesus is about. Loving one another, being present to one another's needs. Even in our church right now, we've got a COVID-19 fund where we've saved money and set money aside and are able to now help families. And we are striving to be faithfully present in meeting needs to the best of our ability. This is our chance to be generous. This is our chance to be like Jesus. This is our chance to follow in the footsteps of our brothers and sisters who set such a beautiful example of what it is to to have all your wealth and your relationships. This is it. This is our chance to do that rather than wait for the pandemic to blow over or somehow get back to normal or whatever and then go, well, maybe later I'll be generous. No, no, no. This is our chance to give now, to serve now, to dive in now, to participate now. We're not even promised tomorrow. But we can give today. We can serve today. We can love today. We can lift up Jesus today. We can love our neighbor today. It's beautiful. So there's the word of the Lord for the day. So maybe for you, think about how have I viewed repentance in the past? How should I? Does it need to change? Have I only thought in terms of guilt and shame? Or or am I practicing going back to my father's house where I belong? Another thing to think about is as it comes to providing relief. If, if, If you need help, Can you raise your hand and go, "I, I, I need help. If you're able to provide help, would you be willing to reach into your pocket and give so that we can help take care of people in our community that are in need? Are we present to God? Are we present to one another? Thank you so much for listening.